Hi, this is Ned Siegfried from Siegfried & Jensen. As proud sponsors of BeliefCast, we hope you are inspired by Todd's weekly podcasts, which contain so many courageous stories of recovery and personal growth. Remember, it's not what happened in the past that matters, it's what happens in the future. We invite you all to work hard and be optimistic about your future. Enjoy today's podcast. Welcome back. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Inspires Belief Cast. Thank you once again for tuning in week after week. I love you guys. I'd like to thank our sponsors, um, Siegfried and Jensen, Wasatch Recovery, Veracity Networks, and I Hill Institute. You guys are fantastic. Thank you for believing in me. Um, because of your support, we're able to get this out to you know many more thousands of people because of you, so thank you. And uh, i also like to thank our previous guests who have been on. You guys are great. You're vulnerable. Your stories are amazing. And today's going to be no different. I say this a lot, I know, but I'm telling you, there's so many good people in this world, and today's no different. I'm joined by a really good friend of mine. I call him a friend, um, Chandler Turley. Chandler, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Todd. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah. So I've known Chandler, how many years have it been now? I came through the house just over two years ago. Two years ago. So for those of you who don't know, we're coming live from Wasatch Recovery right now. We're in my office where I used to counsel and help, you know, life coach Chandler. And uh, you, I got to see him at his worst. <laughs> <laughs> and now I get to see him at his best. And it's amazing the transformation this kid's gone through. And you guys get to hear his story today. And you will be blown away at what he's gone through and then how he is kind of, we were just talking about this off off the um not off camera because we're not on camera. What would you say? <laughs> off air. Off mic. Off mic. And we were just talking about how he's just owned his story, and it's so beautiful to watch. Chandler, seriously, you. I mean, we were. I was telling people today, Chandler's coming in to share his story, and he's like, "Yeah, he was telling us about it at the barbecue. He's so excited." And and I I know how excited you're to do this. Yeah, I think for me it's big <laughs> just because my story. I was so ashamed of my life yeah. before my addiction, everything, and. You know, the biggest thing for me is just getting it out there, just talking. I think it bugs some pe yeah. people that I'll talk about, whoever will l l listen. So, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. Well, let me give you a little background uh, of Chandler. He he was born and raised in Salt Lake City and went to Olympus High School. Go, go Ole, right? Um, he grew up uh, in a small knit family. He had two brothers. He served an LDS mission in, do you say Auckland? Is that how you say uh -huh. it? Auckland, yep. New Zealand. And then after his mission uh, is when he started a battle with 10 years of addiction. And he's going to tell us that whole story. Um, and what was it, a little over two years ago, You, like you just said, you came to Wasatch Recovery where you learned the tools, you put in the work, blood, sweat, and tears that uh, where you saved your life. Yeah, We helped guide you. We, I, we walked the walk with you, but you walked the walk. And that's one thing I really admired of you when you were here, how hard you worked. It was really fun to watch and, you know, and you had a relapse in there and you came back and, but the way you handled the relapse when you came back, it was like you were on fire all of a sudden. It's like, who's this dude, <laughs> right? Yeah, it was something I needed, I think, you know. Yeah. And I've even talked to my therapist, Sean, since yeah. I've left and, you know, he said that I needed that kind yeah. of wake up call in between stays. I was out of the house for six days and just, yeah. it was really bad, but, you know, I picked my beat up i called you and yep. mark and you guys just yeah. said get back here and absolutely absolutely well 
You know, Chandler uh, graduated with a degree in sports medicine from the University of Utah, and he's currently on working getting his master, master's in clinical psychology with a goal of working in the field of mental health and addiction, which I can't wait for that to happen. You'll be fantastic at it. He has a beautiful wife, and him and his wife started a charity called Spread the Warmth, where they collect socks every November and pass them out to the homeless around the Salt Lake Valley. And again, you know, Chandler looks, I mean, if you saw, I wish we had a picture before and after <laughs> what you looked like back then to now. And it has nothing to do with weight. You've lost a lot of weight, but more so just the glow and the light you have back in your life. It's so fun to watch. So why don't we start off, Chandler, just kind of tell us where you grew up, about your family and some things about your childhood to yeah. so get to know you. So I grew up just kind of in East Mill Creek. Um, I was the middle of two brothers. Uh, three kids, so I had one older and one y younger brother. Uh -huh. um, but I also grew up surrounded by a lot of extended family. My grandparents lived two doors up. Um, right. A lot of second co cousins, aunts, and uncles around our neighborhood. It, it, it was joked as the compound, just because <laughs> everybody was yeah. was a relative somehow. Right. Um, so I was super blessed in 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 that way. Huge na neighborhood barbecues with the whole fam that family. Um, I grew up, my, my household grow, growing up was very like emotionally closed off, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, I had a father who has worked in law enforcement mm -hmm. his entire life. Um, but his dad died when, when he was eight. Um, and so just a lot of, you know, we yeah. just didn't talk a lot about kind yeah. of the emotional things and, yeah. but we did everything together we drove on all of our trips so we spent a lot of time in cars and driving to canada and the beaches and everything and our family we, we were super close yeah i think that's pretty common in families where you know you're close you're doing good things and it's you know you've had a good upbringing like you're mentioning but uh, it's it's rare when you hear families that are getting into the emotional things and digging deep and really talking about hard topics and conversations and things like that, right? Yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah. And, you know, we're still we're, we're, we're working on it. My addiction, I think, is still kind of a, you know, the elephant in the room. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we yeah. try. Yeah. Building that trust back, right? Yep. It always takes a minute. And then communicating is also one of the keys. So, you know, just thinking of your childhood, you know, what were some of the lessons that you learned as, you know, growing up that maybe even help you today and maybe even helped you get to where you're at now? Yeah, my 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 dad was always a huge example of hard work. Um, you know, as I mentioned, he worked in law enforcement. He still does. Um, works for the Department of Corrections. Um, my okay. mom always worked. Um, so just that example of having a good work ethic. My dad worked multiple jobs. He cleaned buildings uh, to give us the best that he could. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he always showed up to sporting events and, you know, you just could tell that they cared and, yeah. you know, seeing that lo lo loyalty was, was huge. And that's something I still carry w with me for sure. Yeah. Love that. You know, and, and I can see that like when you came through our program, you were a hard worker. I was one of the things that probably stands out the most with me is just seeing how hard you worked. I mean, um, if I remember right, were you res pres? I was at yeah. one point. Mm -hmm. And I remember just the way you ran the house. And and for those that don't know, you know, when someone comes to Wasatch, there's 16 people typically in a house. We have two houses. Chandler was in one of the houses and he became the res pres, which meant 
He got to run the house. He made sure people were, you know, getting where they needed to be on time, getting their chores done. He's holding people accountable. And you just took the reins there, dude, and became a leader. And it, that's one of the reasons why we do that is we we're trying to help people learn that they can be a leader. And you did a really fantastic job of that when I watched you do that. And that's something, you know, even what I learned in that role, I've kind of carried with me to work now. I manage the meat department at Harmon's and, you know, just having to kind of delegate and make sure the stuff gets done. And and definitely learned a lot of good life lessons while I was here. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you know, we mentioned that you went on a mission. And when you came home from your mission, you, you mentioned that that was like the start of your tenure of struggling with addiction. And you don't typically hear that. I came home from my mission mm-hmm. and uh, you usually hear, well, I you know, did all these things. And you know, obviously this led down a path of addiction for you. Talk about what happened and just, you know, just take over here and share your story. Yeah, it's cra- crazy. Like growing up, I had a group of friends. We were all super close. There was mm-hmm. five of us and we did everything together. And back then, if you would have said, you know, you're going to be an addict in six, seven, eight, eight, eight years from now, I'd have told you you were crazy. We never talked about drugs or alcohol. We never even thought about (laughs) doing any of it. Right. Um, When I got home from my mission, um, I was introduced to a girl who is, see, how do I explain this? My little brother's wife, it was her cousin. Okay. And so they introduced, or she introduced me to her cousin and things just clicked. Um, we dated, dated for a little while, um, ended up getting married uh, about eight months. So I was home about a year before I got married. Um, but she had kind of experimented with alcohol and marijuana and stuff when she was in high school. Um, and she just kind of planted that seed of, you know, kind of curiosity. Um, we would text about it every once in a while. Um, and one day my older brother got a hold of my phone and read through all of our texts, mm. um, took my phone to my dad and said, this is kind of what they're going talking on? about. And, yeah. you know, of course he's going to be concerned. Yeah. Um, but I was always kind of the rebel as a kid. Uh, me and my dad always didn't get get along. We butted heads. Yeah. Um, and so he sat me and my soon to be wife down and just laid in into us about alcohol and it's not a good idea and but of course me being a stubborn kid I just shut down and got super defensive and angry and I think that was kind of the moment where I said okay I'm gonna do this and um so the first night I ever drank was the wedding night of my first marriage Um, and we went on our honeymoon up to Park City she wasn't of age yet she was only 19 um, so we stopped at the liquor store in Park City, and I bought a bunch of the nasty cheese. I didn't know what I was buying. I'd never <laughs> been in a liquor store before. Right. Bought the charcoal filled, just gross oh, and stuff. Yeah. And <laughs> I actually still remember um, the first time I ever drank, just got total blackout. I remember crawling across the bathroom floor, puking everywhere. And I still remember to this day thinking to myself, this is miserable. I'm never going to do this again yeah and that resolution lasted all but 12 hours until the next day when you start feeling a little better Uh all right i guess i'll have some more Mm -hmm. yeah we'll be a little more careful and yeah but you know we all know how that goes um so at first we just kind of drank together just the two of us on, on 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 the weekends um both of our 
families are very religious, active members of the LDS church. Um, so we didn't really have any friends that, that drank or partied or did any of that. Right. Um, so it started off slowly just on the weekends at home, um, until, you know, I just had to have more and more, um, I would get a job working in a restaurant, which is not a good place to work for anybody struggling or (laughs) in addiction or just because that's where, you know, most servers, you know, are smoking weed or doing other things. And I happened to work at a restaurant directly across the street from a liquor store, which didn't help the situation. Yeah. Um, And I would soon become the manager of this place. I'd be the bar tender and so i literally turned into one for you we'll do two for me or yeah and yeah. i'd open the restaurant in the mornings and i would you know go back and i'd open the bar and i'd take the tops off the counter of the liquor yeah. and pour them in a cup and, the meter that would tell you uh-huh. yeah. Whoops, sorry. and i would do you know 90 percent alcohol and top it off with a little bit of coke to try and disguise it and yeah and so it very quickly turned into me being being drunk 24 hours of every day. Mm. Um, she had friends that smoked marijuana and introduced me to that and immediately fell in love with with getting high. It was something yeah. that I just enjoyed. I was able to relax and you yeah. know, just took away all the cares. you know. But in the meantime, I didn't realize that I'm totally just distancing myself from everybody and everything that... Yeah matter to me in in my life did you feel sad or depressed at the time or i mean or did you feel like oh this is no big deal i I know i'm going hard but i'm still okay or or were you you know what was your mental status at that time i think i was just so drunk all the time i didn't really think about it mm-hmm. um okay. but now that i look back i was definitely depressed my marriage was mi- miserable um, she yeah. was very physically, verbally abusive. Mm. Um, and so I just think, you know, the stigma of divorce is not something I kind of wanted to do. So I fought for it and um, just kind of put my head, head, head down. I was working. I was going to school. So I just tried not to spend time at home. Um, yeah. And when we did, we were, you know, getting high and drunk. And so I didn't really really think about it much at the time sure mm-hmm. so now obviously you ended up getting a divorce so did did obviously things progressed and got worse and worse and worse so just kind of take it from there yeah so we were married about eight eight years um ended up quitting the restaurant to go through my program at school i went through the sports medicine program up at the university of utah great experience got to work yeah. with the football team uh, uh, up there, traveled, sidelines, locker rooms. Oh, really? And, yeah, it was a great experience. Oh, cool. Um, but then again, college lo- yeah. locker rooms and dorms yeah. are not <laughs> a great place to be for alcoholics and stuff. And so that opened my eyes to a whole new world of drinking and parties and everything. Um, right. So after school, I would kind of struggle to find work. Um, there's not a ton of jobs out there in sports medicine. Um, if you don't have a master's degree or kind of go that route. So I ended up getting a job working as a plumber um, for a local company, just a small that that, that family-run place. Uh-huh. And that's kind of really when 
you know, the depression would kick in and when I realized that, okay, maybe I am going through some mental stuff here. Right. Um, but I worked 15, 16, 17 hours every, every day. Was that so, hardworking guy? Yeah. There. But, you know, got to the point where I'm driving my work truck drunk every day. Mm-hmm. You know, the first thing I do when I go into somebody's house to to do a job was I'd go through their cabinets, their fridge, their freezer, looking for their alcohol. And to this day, I still can't believe I was never, ever caught because I would take just swigs right out of the bottle. I'd top it off with water, put it back. And Serious? Just, yeah, and it was, wow. it was really bad. And, you know, our vans had... GPS is in them. I'd park a mile from the liquor store and I'd park and I'd walk a mile to buy it and walk it back back to my work truck. And just so you wouldn't be caught. Just so I wouldn't be caught. Yeah. And I did everything I could to hide it until I got home. And of course, you smell and you think you don't. And, you know, people start to notice. I had a boss yeah. pull, 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 pull me aside and say, You smell like alcohol. And of course, I heard him throwing some mints and just say, I don't know. I don't know what you're. Talk, talk, talking about and yeah. play it off. Yeah, yeah. And so it was fine until one day we were doing a job. Well, I ended up becoming super close with one of the um, other employees there. Um, we did everything together. We worked together during the day. At nights, we go to each other's homes and watch sports. And but there was always yeah. around alcohol and and weed and. And so, you know, the more you get away from your addiction, or at least me, the more I realize how shallow those relationships were. Yeah. You know, they're very, right. very surface. Yeah. We, we didn't care about each other. Yeah. Um, and I, um, so we were at a job together one day. I found a giant gallon of gin down in this laundry room, just chug after chug after chug. And I go to get in my work truck and he's like, something's wrong. I tried to talk me into staying and I wouldn't. Um, So I get in my truck and I drive off. We're downtown. I'm driving down North Temple. um, End up rear-ending the car in front of me at the stoplight. Um, Pushed her in front of the car in front of her. Um, And that's kind of when I realized, oh, crap. This is not good. Yeah. Um, Try to hide it. Run over the garbage can on the side of the street. Throw away my bottle. Of course, they find it. Um, yeah. lucky thing for me is the mother of the car that I, in front of me that I hit had just dropped her, her four-year-old off at preschool about two minutes before. Dang, yeah. And I pushed the trunk of that car into the back seat. That, that kid would be dead if he was sitting in that car. Really? Um, wow. so that's something I'm grateful for still yeah. to, to this day. Yeah. Um, but they take me over to the gas station, run a field sobriety test. I get put in cuffs. Um, and this is when, you know, you start doing that inventory of what's going to happen. I got a dad who's the warden of the prison and I got a brother (laughs) who's in charge of APMP. And so things just start, I just start freaking out. I go to an anxiety attack in the back of the cop car here and, but they take me to the police station, they do a field sobriety test, or a breath of light, light, lighter test there. I blew a, over a .25, so I'm just way Damn. over the, yeah, wow. the limit. Yeah. Um, but they didn't take 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 him to jail for some reason. Um, wow. So That's they just crazy. called my wife from 
um, from the police station. She came, picked me up, took me home, called my parents and said, this is what ha happened. He was yeah. in a DUI. She kicked me out of the house. Um, that next day, um, we were living in a little apartment in Murray. Um, and that's when I moved back into my parents' home. And that was kind of the beginning of the end of our marriage. Oh, okay. Um, but that just kind of made me super angry because my wife was in a DUI about six months before that. And, and I supported her through that. I paid all of her fines, everything. And as soon as I got mine, she just kicked me to the curb and said, we're done. So you probably had a lot of resentment around oh, that. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. You know, things were already bad. But now that I look back on them, Great, yeah. great, grateful because that was kind of the separation that yeah. kind of gave me the excuse to kind of start to end things. To end things, yeah, uh, sure. We kind of made the goal. This was in May um, to work things out, and you know, we'll see how things go. We'll reassess things come the end of the year. Um, and this time, you know, I'm living with my parents. They have the you know a strict rule of no alcohol in the home. Um, that didn't last long. You know, I yeah. <laughs> had to have it. I'd hide it out outside the house or I'd, you know, obviously find places in the home to hide it. Um, but we would, me and my ex-wife would still kind of see e e e each other. And one night she's super drunk and tells me she ended up having an affair with one of my best friends. Well, um, before all this took place and that happened oh. while I was in the house just passed out drunk on the couch upstairs. And that's when kind of everything I had bottled up just turned to anger. I just started getting yeah, mad at wow. everything. I'm mad at myself, at her, at God for letting all this happen. Yeah. Uh, just, I was just turned into an angry, angry man. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That, you know, it's, it's so addiction is so devastating. Like, you know, as you listen to your story, just things, and they always progressively just get worse and quickly. Mm -hmm. Just, you look at where, you know, like you said, I mean, had that kid been in the back seat of that car. I'd probably be in prison still. Prison. Mm -hmm. And you're one of the best guys I've ever met. And it was interesting, you know, and you know my story. I got to speak at the prison because mm -hmm. I know your dad's worked out there. And, you know, I told, I will never forget when I was at the prison, I said to the group there, there was 120 of them. I said, the only difference between me and you is, I didn't get busted. I mm -hmm. didn't get caught. Yeah. You know, and you, or I didn't have some really unfortunate, un unlucky thing happen because when I was driving drunk or whatever. And I mean, to know that you would be in prison because of that, but you're, you're a great guy. And I think everyone out there, most of them are just good people who just, did a, had a mistake and mm -hmm. something bad happened. Yeah. Right. And I mean, I can't believe I only got caught that one time. You know, I yeah. was dry, driving drunk every day. Um, so after all this, I ended up getting a breathalyzer put in my car oh, yeah. Those um, are fun. because of the DUI and <laughs> just the, the money that comes from having, I mean, that, that was 70 bucks a month, even though I just to have didn't it. have a life license, but I had a car in my name. So I had to have this breathalyzer in, in my car. Um, so I would, um, end up failing some breathalyzer tests in my car and they get reported every month. Um, so mm -hmm. you have to go. And so they, if you blow into it, it doesn't start because you've been drinking. Mm -hmm. Then it gets reported that you were attempting to drive yep. while intoxicated. Yep. And so, so that's you, not good. Every month you have to go to the place okay. and they take it out. They run the diagnostics that show yeah. if you start it, you have, if you fail a test, you have to wait 30 minutes, then you can retry. 
And if you don't retry, then that's a red flag to them as well. <laughs> um, so I go, he's like, well, what was this? And I said, oh, I had just done some mouthwash in the, in the house and, and they're know, trying to like, make up nice excuses. Try, yeah, yeah, they hear that all the time. Oh, I'm sure. And so nice try. they send that into the courts and that, you know, ends up getting flagged and counted as a second DUI. Oh, it did. Mm-hmm. And so because again, you're attempting to get into the drive to drive them so they look the wheel of a car yeah. with the ignition on, and Man. so that puts a warrant out for my arrest. Um, but in the in, in the meantime, through all of this, I end up meeting my second wife, um, and she's an angel. Yeah, she's awesome. How did she's, you meet? <laughs> I tell everybody <laughs> Facebook because I swore I'd never get on t- t- Tinder, but we met yeah. on t- Tinder. Um, but <laughs> crazy, I knew her little brother and sister. I went to high school okay. w- with them. She ended up going to East High School, um, but her dad was in an a- accident and was a quadriplegic, and they ended up oh, moving wow. into the neighborhood where okay. um, her mom lives now. Okay. Um, I walked my dog past her house every day, never met never her. Knew. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I ended up meeting online. Um and at first, I, you know, I couldn't drive, and so I was embarrassed. didn't tell her anything that was going on, but I just walked my dogs up to her house, and we'd walk around the blocks through the neighborhoods just okay. walking my dog, and that's how we got to know each other. And, you know, we'd walk past are you, are you At this point, are you still drinking and partying? And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm living with my parents by myself, so I'm, you know, now at this point I'm a closet, as they say, a closet alcoholic. So maybe not drinking as much, but you're still drinking. Yeah, and it's more yeah. at night, you know, I still you're have hiding. a job. Yeah, um, okay. Everything, and yeah. and so, you know, we'd walk past my car, and I make the excuse that it's broken, it doesn't work. And that's why I don't drive. And pick you up on my bike. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so she got into it not realizing, you know, yeah. anything of Had no what's idea. going on. Yeah. Because you didn't want to, like, and it's kind of hard to start the conversation. Oh, and by the way, just so you know, I have an interlock in my car. Mm-hmm. Can't drive it. Here's the reason. Da, da, da. You know, it's hard to bring that up probably on the first time you yeah. meet someone. And then, but right? just to tell you what kind of her person she is you know one day mm-hmm. i got up the courage and i said okay i've been lying this is why my car sitting there i don't drive 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 it because i don't have my license and i explained kind of the whole what happened the whole situation um and she didn't blink she just said oh, that's too bad you know it doesn't make you a terrible person you know, and we talked about it and we worked through it and, wow. you know, we just continued to just kind of work on our relationship. In the meantime, I'm, you know, at night at home getting drunk. And Did she know that at the time, no, do you think? she you, didn't. You kind of hid that from her as well? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, it got to the end where, you know, she was, she didn't really know till after we got home from our wedding. We got married in, in down in Newport Beach. Oh, cool. California. Uh-huh. Um, and e- e- even there, I was, my addiction was really bad. My, you know, my parents had no idea. They gave me my own hotel room, you know, at night. And I'd get on my phone. I'd Google the closest gas station. I'd walk three miles one way through downtown Santa Ana, <laughs> which is not a not a friendly place at times. Yeah, right. In the dark to a gas station so I could buy a bob bottle of vodka and I'd walk home chugging it and 
you know, it's just something that I did. I, uh, you know, and even when I was living at my parents, I did your parents think you had stopped. Mm -hmm. So here you are, you know, you get the DUI, you know, you get, you get a divorce, you know, things are kind of blowing up. You can't drive anymore, but yet people are thinking that woke you up. You stopped, but yet you're hiding it still. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. 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 I just wanted to point that out because it, it's interesting how now everyone's thinking, okay, he's do, it seems like he's doing pretty good, right? I mean, overall, did they think you were doing pretty good? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I had a great job that was going to pay for me to get a, mat, a master's degree to teach special ed kids. And, mm -hmm. you know, and then I ended up losing that job because when I, I applied, interviewed, and was offered the job to be the teacher instead of a para-educator. KK to the State Board of Education reran my background check and this was after the DUI and everything and so they flagged it and said sorry you're on parole or you're yeah. on you know no you're on yeah. uh, state probation and so you can't have this job and so I would lose that job you know I just continued to build on that and yeah. anger of me just being mad at the world yeah wow and you know, so we got home from our wedding, and my wife found a bottle of, well, it was a Powerade bottle full of vodka. Um, just a couple of days after we got home, and that's when she realized that, yeah, okay, there might be something going on here. Gotcha. Um, so we checked me my uh, we checked into Cornerstone, which is a county funded outpatient yeah. facility. Um, I would do day treatment there. Um, I would get a little bit of time clean. I'd get six, seven months. Um, but still, we'd go on vacations, and I, you know, I knew I wouldn't have to drug test. And, you know, we all figure out how long you have before it's out of your system so yeah. you can kind of beat it. And, yeah. you know, so whenever I knew I was going to be away, I would find a way to somehow drink. Right. Um, but I graduated there, and I still remember the coin ceremony my parents came her mom came she came and afterwards you know the general census was uh, among my family I was like oh he's he did it he's fixed and i said i'm fig i'll show you, <laughs> you <know? laughs> it's not that easy this is a d addiction you're never fixed little if only if i knew that what i know now back then right you know, yeah. it's <laughs> never getting over this. And so I did yeah. that. I was taken off probation and that's when the floodgates reopened. Mm. Um, I would find out, you know, I didn't know I had the warrant out for my arrest. One day I get the call from my older brother and my parents, he's over at my parents' house and him being who he is working for a, a P and P he gets this, you know, this thing that says, you know, Chandler Turley, warrant and everything so my mom calls me crying and i'm in the background and mm. you know that's when my older brother brother said you know i had to separate himself from me because yeah technically by law if he sees me he's got to arrest me and take me to jail wow um and It'll so that's, hard to have your brother do that huh? yeah and so that was that was kind of an eye-opening experience sure. for sure wow so i'd end up going to to court my wife's um, brother-in-law is an attorney, incredible um, cred man. He represented me for free, um, tried his hardest. Judge 
didn't buy it and, and i ended up walking out of court in cuffs um and going to jail and wow. that's kind of you know as we talked about before yeah. before i went on air shame was my my biggest downfall yeah and i was too totally ashamed of who i was um i truly believed i was a terrible person and you know going to jail with my family who they are just kind of compounded that shame yeah. especially when you're standing in line getting processed and one of the guards goes turley you're the warden's son he must be embarrassed of you that you're here and you know i'm already trying to keep a low profile because yeah you, know, wow. you never know i'm terrified Gosh. and so that that was kind of my lowest of lows Low points. yeah feeling like you let your whole family down I do want to point out you you're talking about this shame. I want our listeners to we talk about this a lot in treatment where what's the difference between guilt and shame and guilt is I did something bad, shame is I'm bad. Mm-hmm. And I remember that, you know, back when I was working with you just this shame meaning you had this feeling that you were just this bad person, right? And you just weren't good and look what I'm doing. I'm blowing up my life. I'm a disappointment to the family or whatever it was. I just want to point that out to our listeners to understand yeah. the difference. Guilt guilt reminds us don't do it again. But if we hold on to guilt too long, it eventually turns to shame. But you had a lot of shame, meaning on some level, you just didn't think you were a good person. Yeah, I thought I was terrible. Yeah. And, you know, guilt's good because it can drive you to change, which is what yeah. you want. And, yeah. But that shame led me to truly believe I didn't, I wasn't worthy of love from my wife, from yeah. my family, from for myself from you know god i just you know i wasn't worthy of any of that and right. i just continued to drive that addiction you know i remember my mom telling me she talked to an aunt and uncle and explained to them about my ad- addiction and that would just make me super angry because i was embarrassed i didn't want other people to know what yeah, i was going about me. through yeah and you know and so going to jail definitely just was kind of the culmination of all of that yeah. kind of the driving now that, okay, yeah, you are a terrible person yeah, because you can't wow. be here. So you're in jail. How long were you in jail for? I was sentenced to 10 days, but I only ended up do- doing four. Okay. Um, got out and you know, my, you know, family didn't know, you know, kind of how to act. They wanted me to come over for dinner the night I got home and walk in. And instead of my name, they say, Hey, number, you know, blah, blah, and just run, run, run run off a number like that's my jail number and you know i laugh it off like i did everything you know but that but just, it just it was another ugh. reminder that you believed you're a bad person yeah. mm-hmm. you're like yeah there's another reminder yeah and we yeah. talk about the bully you know yeah here and that kind of it's already running rampant sure. in my head you know wow that's kind of interesting to think back on my life about okay where did this where did this bully kind of start and it's kind of interesting to kind of pinpoint, okay, this this was something and this was something. And Yeah. I'd like to again point out to our listeners, when we talk bully, what we're saying is there's that, we all have this negative voice in our head, all of us, even when we're little. Every kid has it, every person, some worse than others. And we call it the bully because at times it feels like a bully, like it's pushing us around, telling us what to do, telling us we're no good. And, and that voice forms these belief systems about ourselves and again you felt you weren't a good person but it was because of a voice 
that you're allowing to run in your head about, you know, saying you're pathetic, you're no good, look, you're a disappointment to the family, you look, who does this, you know, you're, you know, you're you got a brother who's an APMP and a dad who's a warden and this and that, and, and you're going the exact opposite direction, mm-hmm. you know, so I just want to point that out, every one of us has that voice, and you and I did a lot of work around your oh, narrative, yeah. mm-hmm. and that narrative can either kill us or it can set us free, you know, and again, I want to point out the work you put in. And when I think back, it's kind of weird that you're sitting here. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, it's like surreal. Um, and just how good you're doing. It's so awesome, by the way. I just love it. But the work you put around your narrative was so fantastic because you really did have a vicious narrative at the time mm-hmm. when we first met. And again, we helped identify that. You started creating a different narrative, saying the new things. It took a while took a long while, but you, again, I'll tell you, the difference between people who make it or don't is the people who put in the work, and man, you worked your butt off changing that narrative, and you're one of the most confident guys I've met. Yeah, it was, it's awesome. It was, t- it was hard work, but yeah. it's worth every second, you know, I remember as a kid, I was always bigger, you know, I always weighed more than mm-hmm. everybody else, you know, a nickname that I had around the na- neighborhood was Chanlode. Or a chanlard, you know, and so as a kid, you know, you want to be liked by the Again. older kids, so you laugh and you, and you do it, you know. So that, you know, that dark started. Okay, you're not good enough physically. I ended up quitting high school sports, you know, my junior year, and you know, I had an older brother who was an all state state champion. My little brother is an incredible athlete. Yeah, and then there's me that quits, and you know, my you know, sports has always been a huge part of our family my dad refereed college ball i have a cousin who played in the majors and you know and then there's me that quits you know and so that's me i'm not good enough you know the word you know being a member of the lds church worthiness is huge yeah and i remember younger as you know kids i experimented sexually with you know a close friend and you know every time i got you know set apart in a new calling or ordained mm-hmm. to a new office in the pre- priesthood or something, you know, that's in the back, back of my head. Okay. You shouldn't be doing this. You're not worthy. Yeah. And just carried that forever. And I carried that burden with me until I came through the house here. Yep. It was the first time I ever kind of got that off my chest. Yeah. And I think a lot of it's just kind of fear of embarrassment or of yeah. kind of, concussions you know most kids my age growing up would go talk to a bishop or a church leader but i grew up in a ward where a bishop was always an uncle yeah you know and so i'm not gonna go talk to him i'm you know somebody's gonna tell my parents or something yeah Yeah. so something i just carried with me forever well that was another thing too i'll mention you got you were very you allowed yourself to get vulnerable when you were here again you shared some what you just mentioned first time you brought it out when you were here and again i think that's another reason why you've been successful to be where you're at now because again now it's not weighing on you like it was before right i think it's it was mr rogers that said if you can mention it you can manage it (laughs) right and so you mentioned it hey this is something i that happened when i was younger this is something that i went through and i've never been you know able to say it until now and Again, that just showed, again, you were so willing to try to fix everything and change your life. Yeah, and I think a big you know? part, too, was just not feeling judged from the therapist here, the, yeah. my residents, or the other re- residents yeah. in the house, them just yeah. understanding and letting me just talk about it. Yeah. And 
I think that that was a huge help. Well, and I think people who, you know, go through a traumatic event like that, you know, whether it's emotionally, mentally, sexually, or whatever, I think what most people do is they don't talk about it. They shove it down and they try to act like it's not there because it's so hurtful and what have you. Again, if we can talk about it, if you can tell someone that you trust or, you know, you come to a program like this and be able to process through that and see it differently, you know, and, you know, when I ever, whenever I, you know, back when I even heard you bring that up for the first time in that moment, I just remember having this like more respect and more love for you in that moment. It was, it's so interesting. I always feel that way when people get vulnerable like that. So again, that was another reason I think mm -hmm. why you're so successful, mm -hmm. you know, That's yeah, and that, you know, just like you mentioned, I think having somebody you can talk to yeah. is huge. I remember when I left the house the first time, I went home having already planned my my relapse. Yeah, um, I knew I was going to be by myself. We were at the gro grocery store on the weekend. I'm counting my money. Okay, I can buy this here. I'll have this much when I get home. Mm -hmm. And you know, instead, you know, I've been through 30 days of rehab, and I did so good. And the last thing. I want to do is like, oh, I'm thinking about relapsing when I go home. Yeah. So instead of bringing that out in group or to my therapist, yep. I sat on it and I went home and, you know, I probably almost died. And there's more than once where if I had more alcohol at home, I would not be sitting here today. Wow. And, you know, if, and I'm grateful now that I did have to come back because I think I was a lot more vulnerable the second time around. I didn't bring any of that up my first time right. through the house. Yeah, I just right. kind of put my head down. I went to work. I obeyed the sure. rules. And it wasn't until I came back that I really kind of humbled myself and just said, this is what I need to do. Yeah, this is where I'm at. And that's what it took. And it, yeah. it was all thanks to you and Mark and Sean, my therapist, and yeah. Tina and everybody here that yeah. kind of helped just kind of put me in that right path. That Yeah. No, well, I'll tell you, we're all very proud of you. I mean, I think, what, did you run six miles today? Yeah, yeah. six and a half. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not Chan Lard, it's Chan Lean, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. They all say but Chan, Chan Slim now. <laughs> <laughs> Chan Slim, there we go. We'll use that as the hashtag. Right. <laughs> um, but, no, again, I just admire you. I mean, you, you're, you look great, you sound great, but more importantly, just how you've you're just – you've owned your story. You've shared this a lot. You've come back to Wasatch. You share your story all the time. People are always talking about weeks after you've come going, man, I love the way he just was so vulnerable with what he said. And, and I was so excited. I mean, we've, we've been trying to get you on this show for a long time and we finally, we finally hook up, you know, got it. here we are, you know, and I'm just excited because a lot of people are going to hear this. And, you know, I want to ask a few more questions. Mm -hmm. I want so thank you for sharing what you have so far. And, and I know there's more to your story, but what, what do you think is the biggest lesson that you've learned through this whole process? And I know this is a, I'm asking you a tough question because there's probably a thousand things you've learned, but is there anything that stands out the most for you? I think one of the biggest things, I mean, we hear all the time, especially uh, in the world today, that it's okay to not be okay. Mm-hmm. And just having a wife who I can go to and say, hey, today I'm struggling. Yeah. You know, and being able to talk to talk about it yeah. is huge. You know, because before I just would have sat with it and yeah. and I just would have built and built until it overflowed, you know. But just being able to say, I need some help. Yeah. And 
Yeah, I you love know, that. Just being able to talk about it. Yeah, sure, she might worry, which is her right, and I put her to hell and back. But I think the more, you know, I'm able to pull her aside and, and say I'm struggling, you know, and yeah. that just will just help continue to build that. And love that. So I'm going to ask you a tough question. This one's tough. What do you love most about you? I think the biggest thing for me coming through the house was I need to, we say this, you say this all the time is who are you? And it uh -huh. took me a lot of work to figure out who I am. Mm -hmm. And, you know, today I know who I am and that keeps me going every day. You yeah. know, I know I'm worthy of love from myself and from others. I'm happy. I'm smart. I'm knowledgeable, you know, and I think the biggest thing you have a sign up here in your office that says you have the dignity to choose and I tell myself every, every every day I have the power and the dig, dignity to choose and I choose to be clean and wow. that's why I'm clean love that man you just gave me chills dude mm -hmm. you just made my day <laughs> yeah because that's a big thing I work on with my clients and with you is like who are you because we walk around not knowing who we are and then we just get lost in all these things that we I mean you weren't born to go blow up your life that's not why you were born but when we forget who we are it's we get easily caught up in that kind of stuff and again, you know, it was kind of innocent how you got caught up in it, and but look what it led to. But to see where you're at now, dude, it is such a, it's exciting, man. I'm just excited for you. You and your wife um, had created a charity now called Spread the Warmth. Why did you guys do that? Well, I mean, once again, it always comes back to what I learned here. Um, <laughs> your friend Simon Sinek said yeah. that if you master the first 11 steps of AA, you're bound to drink, drink again. But if you master that 12th step, you'll never touch another drop. Yeah. And throughout this, I mean, I didn't talk about that. I mean, my story's got so much. I didn't right. mention everything. Sure. My mom kicked, kicked me out of the house. And I can imagine how hard that was for her to do. My wife kicked me out of the house. I lived in my car for for months. Yeah. And, you know, I've talked to a lot of people that live on the streets and yeah. I've worked with Dr. Simpson who's a sport or he's a addiction medicine yeah doctor and anybody that's homeless will tell you that socks is the biggest need especially during during the winter. Yeah. And so I got out of the house in October and that November we started to collect socks. We put boxes at at the sports mall, the gym I go to, I put them at, at work at Harmon's. I put them wherever anybody would let me put a box. I would here put at box. Wasatch. Yeah, we had one here, and, <laughs> yeah. and we just started collecting socks and monetary donations. And that first year, we collected over a thousand pairs of socks. Wow! And hundreds of pairs of hand warmers and cases of water, and and so and then we went downtown and we set up a table on the street and just passed out socks. And the homeless would come and they'd just grab socks. And yeah, wow. a lot of the residents here at the house wrote cards. And those cards were by far the biggest hit. Just yeah. people can read that they matter. Yeah. Um, and it was just such a big hit. It was great for my wife's family to be there and to kind of see, you know, yeah. how bad it is. We gave one guy a really nice coat. He comes back high without the coat and knowing that he just sold that coat for drugs and yeah. everything. And but it's good for them to see, okay, this is what life can be like. And That's what it looks like, where it could they lead ask, to, how yeah. does somebody become homeless? And, you know, they see it f firsthand. And Well, you were living in your car. Yeah. You were homeless, mm -hmm. right? It yeah. can happen to anybody. It can happen to anybody. Yep, anyone. 
Yeah. Wow. And so we did it again last year. Yeah. Last year was a little rough because of COVID. COVID, sure. We still got hundreds of pairs of socks, and we yeah. weren't able to go pass them out anywhere, but they still got donated to the shelters and everything. So we're in the works again for this year for the third a- a- annual Spread the Warmth. Um, we're going to get boxes in more and more pull, places. Are you going to pull one up here? We'll, ha- we'll have one here. Sweet. At Harmon's, I just won the service award down at work. Surprise, so surprise. So hoping that... <laughs> all the Harmons will allow us to kind of put a box there and we're just going to try and grow this thing as love it as big as we can. I love it, man. That's so cool. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, if there's someone listening to you right now, Chandler, who's struggling, who's in a dark place, who feels like they have nowhere to go or turn, what advice could you give them right now? Just know that it's okay. And you're not alone. Yeah. You know, you're not the only one that feels like that. And just find somebody, whether it's a spouse or a close friend or just somebody that you can call and just talk to. And you don't have to talk about what you're going through. Talk about football or or whatever and just get your mind off of kind of what you're going through. And that will start to ease the burden and, you know, realize that, okay, things aren't, aren't as bad as they seem. Yeah. Love it. That's great advice. It's beautiful. If someone wants to learn more about your charity and maybe you know follow you and maybe even reach out to you and ask you a question, how can they do that? What's yeah, the so best we, way? we just started an Instagram for um, our char- charity. It's at Spread the Warmth Utah, all all, all one word. Um, and you can find me on f- 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 Facebook. My um, in, in, Instagram handles a little different it's a tongue tongue and word it's uh foilole 224 um can you spell that f-o-i-l-o-l-e 224 say it one more time foilole it means island can't candy <laughs> <laughs> the or the sweet one he's the candy man so he's sweet yeah that's <laughs> name was it. given to me on my mission so okay I, i've kept it i like it i like it a lot that's yeah. very cool well, I can't thank you enough, Chandler, for spending some time with me today. I'm so grateful that we finally got to do this. Um, your story is amazing, um, not only because of what you went through, but just kind of how you're doing things now. And I couldn't agree more that when we give back and we do service, there's no greater high. There's no drug on the planet that can get the feeling no. that you get when you help someone like that. And so it's so cool that you're doing that. Spread the warmth and glad that Wasatch will be a part of that again this year. And... Uh, I'm grateful to know that I, you know, I contributed to the socks, yep. you know, you know the, the two years that you've done it and grateful to be a part of that. And so it's just cool that you're doing those things. Yeah, it definitely feels good just to see how ha- happy one pair of socks and a breakfast yeah. bur- burrito from McDonald's can make somebody. Exactly. It's, it's awesome. It's awesome. Well, thank you so much, my good friend. Thank and keep you, up Tom. the good work. And uh, you're an inspiration to so many. And you're living proof that you can be in the depths of addiction and you can still figure some things out and get the help you need and overcome it yep yeah it is beatable yep awesome well there you go folks i told you another amazing episode another amazing interview with another amazing person chandler turley please reach out to him check out his foundation and his charity uh get involved this year with him too and reach out to him ask him a question send him a direct message and we'll kind of go from there but uh thank you for tuning in Again, thank you to our sponsors. I love you guys. You guys are amazing. And Chandler, one, one last time, just thank you again for taking some time today out of your schedule. 
Thank share you, your story. It was a pleasure. All right. Love you, brother. Love you.